Oh, this morning I was jogging at the West Hudson Park in Kearney. At around midday, um, I know it doesn't sound very religious to jog in a midday on a Good Friday, but it was a beautiful day out there, and uh, and I took the liberty for a good exercise. And as I was jogging, I noticed a group of people on the, if you know, the West, the West Hudson Park, the tennis court area, there's a bridge over the walkway, and there's a hill right next to the tennis court. And I noticed a group of people on the top of the hill, and I noticed a guy wearing a white robe, and another guy next to him in a soldier costume, and some women around them in a you know, in a costume of a first century um, women would um, wear. And of course, I changed my trajectory because I'm curious. <laughs> and I want to see um, what they were doing. And of, I know that they were celebrating the passion of Christ, but I want to see close by. It caught my attention what they were doing. And, and I actually, I run <laughs> the middle of the people. Uh, <laughs> I did not disperse, <laughs> but uh, but it was interesting that the image of seeing these people on the top of the hill, you could see this group of people from all around. The place that they were caught the attention not only of myself but other people close by, and and seeing them up there um, celebrating the passion of Christ. It made me to reflect what happened to Jesus on that Good Friday. When he was beaten and tortured and bloodied, he was walking on the streets of Jerusalem carrying a wooden cross on his back. And of course, the whole city was agitated and arose the curiosity of the people that came to see Jesus walking on the streets. Even more so when he climbed the hill called Golgotha and he was crucified there, it caught the attention of the people. Even those who did not know what was going on, but having this group of people, they just followed to see what was going on. So what I intend tonight is to lead us in a moment of reflection and meditate on that good and dark Friday when the, the Son of God died alone nailed to the cross as a criminal and as a church as a church forefather said the day that God was murdered so as we look at Matthew 27 I do not want you to leave here tonight sad but hopeful because even though Jesus died in chapter 27 we know that he resurrected in chapter 28 I want you to reflect on the reality that the Son of God was also the Son of Man. Like the song we just sang, the Son of David was the Lord, but Lord's David. And he died a shameful and painful death on that good and dark Friday. So before we, I share some things with you, I just want to pray and ask for God's blessing and help. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we, with much, with, with much fear and awe and trembling, Lord, I stand before this text as some 
um, preachers have said, Lord, this is holy ground. We are talking about the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Even though we know this text, we pray, Lord, that you help us to meditate, to reflect on the reality why Jesus was crucified. And I pray that you help me to communicate your word. Holy Spirit, give me grace. And give grace to all of us so that we may not only be hearers of your word, but doers of it, Lord. And especially this night, Lord, to meditate on our own hearts. To meditate that the Son of God did die for us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just going a little bit backward in Matthew's narrative, in chapter 20, 23, um, Jesus starts a series of discourses leading up to his arrest in chapter 27. And he opens this section by pronouncing words of judgment towards the religious leaders, the seven woes against the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. In chapters 24 and 25, Jesus talked about the end of the age and the grand finale with his return. And also there's a warning for his disciples to be ready, to be ready for his return, to be expectant, to be in in such a great expectancy of his return. And chapters 26 to 27 are dedicated to Jesus' last moments with his disciples. His betrayal, his agony in Gethsemane prior to his arrest, followed by torture and his crucifixion. In chapter 28, there's a short account of Jesus' resurrection, followed by his, uh, the Great Commission as he sends out the disciples to make disciples of all nations, which Brother Damien will be preaching about the resurrection on Sunday. So, Matthew makes clear in his narrative that his interest in showing to his readers that Jesus died according to the scriptures. That Jesus died according to the prophecies made about him. In the first verses of chapter 27, the demon read, we see Jesus being delivered to Pilate. The Roman authority in charge of the Palestine. Much has been said about Pilate. One thing we know for sure, Pilate was a weak leader who could not, make, who could not stand um, in the defense of Jesus, even though he was convinced that Jesus was innocent. And after interrogating Jesus, Pilate He noticed that Jesus was innocent, but after interrogating Jesus, he concluded that Jesus was indeed an innocent man, delivered by the Jewish authorities out of envy envy and jealousy. Pilate was convicted that Jesus did not deserve death. We see this in verse 11 to 23. Now, meanwhile, Damon, he skipped some verses, and I, I want to briefly talk about these verses, like from verses 3 to 10, 
in chapter 27, we see Matthew talking about the Judas hanging himself. And he tells us that after Judas realized that he had betrayed an innocent man and his betrayal led to Jesus' execution, he could not bear the guilty and he hanged himself. And Matthew tells us that the amount of money given by the religious authorities to Judas was prophesied by Jeremiah. If you look closely on verse um, 9, he says, the prophet Jeremiah, but I just want to make a, it's not a correction, but just an observation. In fact, Matthew is quoting Zechariah chapter um, 11, verses 13, but he's mentioning Jeremiah because the Old Testament was divided in three parts, the law, the writing, and the prophets. And Jeremiah was the first prophet in the section of the prophets. And it was usually referred to Jeremiah as referring to the prophets in a general term. But he's quoting Zechariah chapter 11, verses 13, which says, and I have on the screen for you, I'm going to be sharing a couple of verses from the Old Testament And I have all of them on the screen for you. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the thirty shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. So Matthew is quoting this passage and saying, This is the price that was paid, that was given to Judas because, for, for his betrayal, right? For telling where Jesus was and leading up the people who arrested Jesus. And despite, despite the, the testimony of his conscience, telling him of Jesus' innocence, Pilate gave in to the demand of the crowd and delivered Jesus to be flogged and crucified. One of the things that stands out from Matthew's gospel is the mockery and the beating that Jesus um, endured from the moment of his arrest up to the moment of his crucifixion. And that becomes even, it, it, it becomes clear in verse 27 to 31. Even most of our Bibles has a subtitle said, Jesus is mocked. Right? Here we, we see the whole process of torture inflicted by the Roman soldiers as a mockery, as a scorn, as a spectacle to them. It was a moment of fun that the whole battalion um, um, inflicted on Jesus. For him, it was painful. For them, it was just a moment of relaxation or just a moment of fun. The twisting of the crown of thorns and the scarlet robe, which was probably a a military cloak belonging to one of the soldiers, put on Jesus was done to the amusement of the whole battalion. It's just a moment of mockery. This babbler, he's calling 
the Son of God, the King of the Jews, being delivered by His own people to us? He is no king. And they took this moment to mock Him inside of the battalion or the headquarters of Pilate. And Jesus' flogging consisted of a whip made of strands of leather attached to the wood, a wooden handle. And each strand had a bit of metal or a bone attached to the end. The victim was bound to a post by the wrists high, high over his head so that the flesh of the back would be stretched during the entire process of, of scourging, right? Because, of course, as you were being scourged, you would, you would not be able to bear your own weight. So they would stretch him very, uh, in a way that the scourge will, will be um, painful. An experienced man in his scourging could easily tear the flesh from the back, lacerating muscles, and even exposing the kidneys. And this type of scourging was fatal in many cases, as historians had pointed out. In Jesus' case, the pain and the loss of blood weakened him to the point that he could not bear the cross. Because part of the torture was that the prisoners, they have to carry their own cross. But Jesus could not. And Matthew tells us in verse 32 that the Roman soldiers compelled a man from the crowd to help Jesus to carry his cross up to Golgotha, which means, in, which means the skull. They do not know if they call it skull because of the shape of the mountain or because many people were crucified on that place. It's hard to know what is the significance of this name. And after arriving at the place of crucifixion and being nailed to the cross, what follows is a continuation of this mockery and derision. The offering of wine with mixed with a bitter herb has been sent to us by some that was to ease the pain. And this mixed drink was some sort of painkiller. Others see this not as an act of compassion to a thirst man dying on the cross, but as an act of mockery by the soldiers because the drink was so bitter to the point that being undrinkable into a thirsty man that would just make things worse. But look at what Psalm 69 verse 21 says. I think I have it on the screen for you. Psalm 69, verse 21. They also gave me gall for food, and for my, my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. This is exactly the mixture that Matthew is recording, this mixture of, of wine with a gall. It's this bitter herb that was given to Jesus, and he tasted it. He did not drink it. While some of the women 
who followed Jesus' ministry very closely stood at some distance. The bystanders and those who passed by wagged their hands and laughed at the scene of seeing this bloody man with a crown of thorns who called himself the Son of God, who entered a few days before into Jerusalem being worshipped by the people. And the people said, Hail, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they are seeing this man hang on the cross, possibly naked. And they wagged their heads and mocking him, saying, Who is this babbler? And while gazing at Jesus and nailed on the cross, Matthew records the words of the Pharisees in verses in verses in verse 42. They said, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Matthew seems to be using a little bit of, of irony here, especially when viewed with the Psalm 22 in the background. Look at what David said in, chapter, in Psalm 22, verse 7 to 9. All who see me is near at me. They separate with the leap. They wag their heads saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. Because he delights in him. David's word here comes from a context where his enemies um, were pursuing him. And, and in his agony and despair, they were laughing and scorning at him. Their enemies, David's enemies, they have the upper hand. And they are laughing and scorning at David because he trusts in God. And God is not delivering him. In fact, they are winning It is hard to know if Matthew records the precise words of the Pharisees in, in, in verse 42, where he's paraphrasing Psalm 22 through the mouth of the Pharisees. What we can know for sure is that one way or another, Matthew is making direct connection to the Old Testament. He's making direct connections to the prophecies made about Jesus. Matthew wants his readers to see that everything that was written about the Messiah happened to Jesus. Every little thing, the, the wine mixed with bitter herb, the wagging of their hands, the scorning, the mockery. Matthew is concerned to show to the people Jesus died according to the scriptures. He suffered as the prophets had said. And the psalmist continues in verse 14 to 18. Look at me at Psalm 22, verse 14 to 18. It says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shared. shared, shared. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. 
A band of evildoers had, has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. It's hard not to read, is it not to see Jesus at the cross and what happened. How Matthew is, 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 is how he puts together his gospel, his narrative. He's using Psalm 22 in the background and saying, this is Jesus. We know that David suffered in the hands of his enemies as he was writing Psalm 22. But he did not have his hands and feet pierced as Jesus had, as he said in verse 16. So in this psalm, we see a precise snapshot of the sufferings of the Messiah. It's a revelation of God given to, to David of this coming Savior. So I wanted to take a special, uh, just a moment for us to look at the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, and see how the authors in the Old Testament, they had this vision of this coming Messiah, as uh, our brother just read Isaiah 53, and he had this vision from God and seeing this Messiah, despised, scorned, tortured, with no beauty for us to look at. And they were talking about the coming Messiah. The scriptures talking about the coming Messiah from the beginning. As we look into Genesis chapter 3. And on and on and on to the point where we come to Matthew 27. The apex of God's creation in redeeming His people. So when we look to the Old Testament, when we see what's happening with Jesus... It's rooted in the Old Testament. And the prophecies about, made about Him. Every detail. The rejection of, of His own people. The irony in the words of the Pharisees is that Jesus, in verse 42, is that Jesus is hanging on the cross because he did trust and still trusts in God, not because he did not. He is hanging as an spectacle to the world, not because he cannot save himself, but because in dying he will save others. That's the great irony. It seems that Matthew is portraying this irony through the mouth of the, the Pharisees and saying, they are saying the right thing. <laughs> what they are intending for mockery actually is the truth. He trusted in God. They got it wrong, in fact, in the sense that, yes, he did trust in God. And he could save himself, but in staying on that cross, he will save others. So he did stay on that cross. The mockery intended by the Roman soldiers and Pilate by clothing Jesus in a scarlet robe, giving him a crown of thorns, and writing a wooden wooden tablet and attaching it to, to the cross, saying the Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, Jesus, the King of the Jews, was in fact true. Jesus was a king, not only to the Jews. But the whole world. 
What a great irony that the king of the universe was nailed to the cross by the hand of sinners who had no authority over him except because the authority they had was given by God as he said to Pilate, Pilate, you, hadn't, you would have no authority over me if it was not given to you from my father who is in heaven. This is the kind of king that was nailed to the cross. But first, this king had to die. And indeed, he died helpless and surrounded by mockers and thieves, scorned and forsaken, beaten, humiliated, possibly naked. Paul, in reflecting about the death of Jesus, and in quoting, in thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 and 23, look what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13. Paul said this, Christ redeemed us from the course, the, the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, you see the Old Testament clearly here. And when you, when you read Deuteronomy, you see very clear what, what Moses is saying here. And Paul is reflecting on the Old Testament passage, passage and saying, that's Christ. He was talking about Christ being hanged on a tree, becoming a curse for his people. Not just a simple humiliation, not just a simple death that brought to the curiosity of the people, but a painful, shameful, excruciating, excruciating death. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, Matthew tells us that there, were, there was darkness over the whole land for three hours, from midday to 3 p.m. It's interesting that as I was, I did this jogging around midday, the day was beautiful. And when I came home, I was just reflecting on this again, and I was reminded that from midday to 3 p.m. there was darkness over the whole land where, while Jesus was hanging on the tree. And of course, as I was going back home from my jogging, and I saw the Roman soldiers going back home, and I saw the Marys going back home in another direction, and then I was about to uh, leave the park, I saw... Jesus, in a white robe, going back home. He was not bloodied. He was still in a white robe, going back home. Oh, but that was not what happened to our Jesus in the cross. On that good Friday, it was indeed a dark Friday. He did not walk away from the, from the cross. And in fact, I did not know what they did with the, the, the wooden cross. But Jesus stayed on that cross, bloodied. Another instance, and I want to bring you back to the Old Testament again. Another instance where we see darkness over the whole land. You know where it was, right? Egypt. The ninth plague was what? Darkness over the whole land. 
And as you read in Exodus chapter 12, you see that that darkness was a sign of judgment. It was a sign of judgment. And that preceded the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians in the land. So Matthew is concerned to show the people that there is a significance in this darkness. They stayed over the land for three hours. And this would ring a bell for the first century Jew. And before Jesus died, he uttered the words of Psalm 22, verses 1, again. But this time Jesus quoted, not Matthew, but Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever thought about this? God did not answer his son. This is an unanswered call. He cried out to God while on that cross, and he was not answered. Why? Because he was nailed for our sins, and he had to remain there. He had to die there. Jesus is in agony on that cross. Don't miss that fact. He was in excruciating pain. Don't miss that fact. He was mocked all the way to the end. Do not miss that fact. He was smitten by the hand of sinners. First and foremost, of course, by God the Father. But don't miss the fact that he was torturing his flesh. If we complain a little bit about a headache or some bruise that we get sometimes, think about your back being lacerated by a cruel man. There was Jesus over 2,000 years ago. Looking at these texts and many others, we conclude that Jesus' death and sufferings happen as the Scriptures prophesied about Him. Friends, in His human existence, Jesus died as the result of this torture and crucifixion. He was killed by the hand of sinners. I just want you to, to help me to see the fact. Yes, it was the purpose of God. It was, it was because of God the Father and His eternal plan to kill His Son. But that happened through the hands of, of men, mortal men. Jesus' death was marked by excruciating pain. And alone. The Son of God was also the Son of Man. The crown of thorns and the nails that pierced his flesh precede his resurrection and glorification. Do not miss that fact. The lacerated and lifeless body that was hanging on the cross over 2,000 years ago belonged to a man who was condemned to death without committing any crime. Betrayed by some and denied by others. Rejected, hated, and that man was the Son of God. The promised Messiah. Do you call Him Lord? Your Lord died over 2,000 years ago, nailed on a cross because of you. 
Because of your sins. If it was not for him, you would not be here. You would have no hope. You would have no peace. You would have nothing except the clothes in your body and some bank in your bank account, some money. But you would have no eternal life, no reason for hope at all. Jesus died because he trusted in his God and his eternal plan. And he, and he knew that it was a good plan. Painful for him, but it was a good plan. And he went and he kept that plan to the end. Jesus died the death of sinners and his body was buried in a tomb. Yes, he did resurrect on the third day. But first, he went to the grave, bearing the sins of his people. The Good Friday, as we call it, was indeed a dark Friday. Nebulous Friday. God brought judgment on sin and death on that day. And after Jesus breathed his last the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Mark a new era for God's people. An era marked by access to God through the Son. But it came with a cost. With a high price tag. Blood was shed and that blood was pure and immaculate. If you're not a believer today, and perhaps you came out for curiosity, <laughs> or just to hear another Good Friday sermon, you may not have another opportunity in your life for you, today is the day of salvation. If you need to have your relationship with God to be restored as you are a sheep wandered, into the world. Today is your day. Do not miss this opportunity. Now, if you are a believer, if you are a believer, be reminded that your sins are forgiven, but make sure that you are living a repentant life under the Lordship of Jesus. Not in open scene, mocking the one who died for you. Make sure that by your atti- attitudes and thoughts are in according with God's will. That you're not associating yourself with discoffers and spitting on the one who died your death. Do not take your sins lightly. Do not take sin lightly in your life because someone died so that you could have life. If you are a believer, think about Jesus died a shameful, painful death for your life. And I would like to end quoting Melito of Sardis, a bishop of Smyrna in the end of 2nd century, the beginning of the 3rd century. And he said this, And so he, Jesus, was raised on a cross in a titled, fixed 
indicating who it was and who was being executed. Painful it is to say, but more terrible not to say. He who suspended the earth is suspended. He who fixed the heavens is fixed. He who fastened all things is fastened to the wood. The master is outraged. God is murder. Let us pray.